I do think there is something about being able to express in the right context, in the right way, that we are not self-sufficient. And that's the heart of the gospel. But sometimes we're, we're so hard at trying to present a good Christian face that we don't actually show that we're only functional because of Jesus. So, I mean, I think that's sometimes why, you know, people who have been at the end of their tether are actually better witnesses than people who have kind of got it together because actually they're demonstrably functioning because of Jesus. Welcome to Calling a City to Life, a podcast by Queen's Park Baptist Church in Glasgow, which is in Scotland, just in case anybody didn't know that. I'm sure everybody does. But this morning we have our usual suspects. Suspect's the wrong word, no? Probably is the wrong word. Are we, are we suspicious? Jack, are you suspicious? Good morning. I mean, sometimes, maybe. I don't know. I'm now really <laughs> thinking about that as a phrase and wondering where it came from, but there you go. The I'm assuming suspects. it didn't come from the film. No, I'm assuming it predated the film. The film, Not sure why. yeah, okay. Not sure why. Answers Brody. on a focus card. Absolutely. Brody, how are you this morning? I, I'm okay. I'm just like, Phil, what it? have I missed something? Um, <laughs> I, do I behave suspicious or am I suspicious of others? What suspicious are we talking about, Richard? Uh, uh, so I, I'm just confused. I morning. was just That's doing. I, I, I was just doing an intro. It's as simple as that. <laughs> That's all it was. It didn't need analysis. But if you've not seen the film The Usual Suspects, you probably should. Well, should Don't shoot on anyone. Uh, should, should's maybe not the right word either. I may well have seen the film, but I am terrible for knowing what films are called that I am watching and things like that or who the actors are i don't care what the actor is in real life and um, yeah so i may have seen the film who knows who knows ian good morning favorite film oh favorite film that's a real kind of uh <laughs> sideways move um gosh lots paris Te- paris texas is a bit of a favorite for me just putting that out there for cool. people to explore Good, 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 good. Well, what's to explore this morning? It was a double header of a service this previous Sunday. We had a baptism and then we had a sermon. Uh, Brody, you were involved in the baptism. Tell us, it was a bit of a special one, a bit different. It was a bit of a special one. Uh, older lady, and um, we won't say how old she was, but um, yes. Uh, so that was it was a joy baptisms are always a joy no matter what age or stage the person uh, is uh, at um, just to kind of like this person was uh, as tends to be the case so excited and enthusiastic and uh, that's great though somebody did say oh are we not doing the Lord's Prayer series anymore yes we are but when it's a baptism it's always a bit of a different pre. So we will be returning to uh, the Lord's uh, prayer. And it was great. Uh, uh, and when we baptise somebody, there's always two people are doing the baptism. So uh, Jackie joined me in the tank, which was was nice. I think that's, is that the first time you've been involved in a baptism like that, Jackie? It is. And especially one that took that format because we did it a little differently. We did it a little differently. So for those who are kind of like, what are they talking about? Normally, we would do baptism by immersion, but because of this person's age and we didn't want to hurt her, and we did baptism by fusion, which means that you pour the water over uh, uh-huh. the person. That's not because baptism normally hurts, you understand. It's not that it's a, it's not that it's a risky business. There's not like a only a 99% chance that you come back up out of the water. Yeah, no, we've always got everybody up. We have a 100% a- record. <laughs> yeah, there is, there is a physicality uh, to putting the person yeah. underwater and, and bringing yes. them back up. And, Indeed. Um, yeah, we didn't want to... Uh, we erred on the side of caution. Let's, Absolutely. Let's say that. And it allowed us to kind of like emphasise some other kind of like images associated with baptism mm-hmm. of being uh, standing under God's grace and his love and being washed clean. Like that. So it, was, it was great. It was a good morning. I, I think Jack drew the either the long straw or the short straw that she got to take part in a baptism, but not get soaking wet herself, as well. So I thought that was quite. I thought that was quite a good strategy. Oh, it meant she could sing. You could come back out of the water, then go straight to singing. So Jack had multiple <laughs> jobs at the weekend. <laughs> at the end it was of a the fun day. day. 
It was a good day. It was a good day. Ian, you then got to follow this with a preach. As Brody said, it wasn't on the Lord's Prayer. So why don't you give us a wee intro to what you did preach on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Maybe just before that, just a quick reflection on a fusion and, and what it is, if I may, if that's all right. Um, absolutely. I mean, we obviously did it for practical reasons. And I think, generally speaking, the church throughout the millennia really has used this as a kind of reserve form of baptism um, for in kind of extreme situations so people in prison people who are um, struggling physically and um, just somebody brought this up to me uh, at the weekend so I thought I'd just kind of pass this on for those of you who really like ancient documents um, the Didache is a very early, I think late first century, if I'm right, um, document on um, Christian discipleship. It's got all sorts of interesting things in it, if you like, to know how to um, manage uh, wandering prophets and when to send them on to the next community. It's got instructions about that, but it has instructions about... Um, about baptism and obviously in this now this is not scripture but it's just interesting that there's a bit of a hierarchy of modes of baptism that are expressed in this so the highest mode is um, baptizing in what's called living water which is basically a cold stream so that's kind of regarded as normal and everything else it's kind of a little bit less than the pinnacle and um, so if you've been baptized in warm water you're quite not quite there as according to the didache but it says if you have no living water that is running water baptize into other water and if you cannot do in cold water do so in warm uh, but if you have neither cold nor hot pour water three times upon the head into the name of the father the son and the holy spirit so there you go. That's what we're doing. Um, so in the future, we'll have to go for co cold running water as really the, the pinnacle. Is there a stream in Queen's Park? There's no there's no running water in Queen's Park. Well, there, certainly there, cold water. There, there's <laughs> running water under Queen's Park, but it's mostly um, rainwater that's run off. That's excess rainwater. It goes down a great big tube, but that's probably oh, okay. <laughs> we don't want to don't, <laughs> don't divert that into the building. Yeah, I think I think that's when you do start to get less than a hundred percent success rate at baptizing people. It's when you start to force them down tubes underneath Queen's Park. I think that's when we <laughs> begin we to hurt people, as Brody is concerned. So. Yes, <laughs> I'm also just laughing though because this is like um, you know the OG version of cold plunge, which is you know the biggest craze ever at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe I mean, it's suggesting that baptism needs a marketing campaign that you know like no, cold water just... cold water swimming if you want to do the original as you say the og of cold water swimming come and get baptized <laughs> oh sorry that's where my head went yeah the church i grew up in didn't have a baptismal tank so we used uh, the mill pond on the river drive all right okay so we would speak kindly to the local farmer and mm -hmm trakes down and uh, we would be in one side of the river and the local youth would be in the other i was gonna say the shopping trolley we were doing being baptized no, no along shopping with the shopping trolley, trolley. <laughs> no 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 shopping trolleys sometimes those that were in the river doing it there was multiple baptisms nearly got hypothermia because they were uh, in there for quite a long while right, uh, okay. everybody else was just in and out ian Okay, sorry for that diversion, but uh, no, not some people um, appreciate <laughs> these good. things, I think. Um, so, uh, baptism, of course, is just charged with lots of meaning. And uh, one of the positive things for those preaching on a baptismal service is you can take one aspect of what baptism expresses and, and then kind of look into that. So, um, I was kind of thinking of baptism as being uh, just an expression of God's uh, intervention in our human story and and taking just an ordinary life and turning it into something extraordinary uh, by his involvement so I kind of use the expression that our bi biographies become testimonies so our normal lives become infused with God's grace and power and so so from that we looked at a biblical story from Luke 10 a parable of the Good Samaritan um, and I just um, I flipped that story on its head because normally we would would position ourselves as being either the the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan. You know, which are you? Um, who is an, a proper neighbour? Are you being a good neighbour? Which is the normal and you know good interpretation of that. 
Um, but I thought, what if we look at this from the angle of somebody else in the story? It's quite often a helpful thing to position ourselves in some of these biblical stories. So positioning ourselves as the man who has fallen by the side of the road, that is the one who is in need. What does that mean for us? And how do we find help, and particularly help, in coming into a relationship with, with God in Christ? So a bit of a reflection on our stories, the helplessness of our condition, and the reality of God coming in Christ to rescue us. That was kind of how we took it on Sunday. So if I could start us off then by talking about our biographies and turning them into testimonies, you talked a little bit on Sunday morning about some of your own personal discoveries about your own history um, and an interesting book about your great uncle, which you have discovered recently. And I wondered just for the sheer joy of it, if you could tell us what it's meant to you to discover more about your your family history and what that sort of feels like it means even in relation to your own testimony. Yeah, it's just really interesting. So this kind of started off because we have been uh, looking as a leadership at our own emotional health and well-being and looking into our family of origin and our family history. So we were invited to do that and kind of map out in what's called a genogram our family um, history. And of course, looking at that, we all think, oh, what's negative in my family history? What are the terrible damaging traits that have reverberated down the generations and of course there are things um and so my sister's been doing a bit of family history so i pinged her a message and she said oh you know i've just found out this and this and this now this is an area of my life where i kind of had a sort of hazy sort of idea um for various reasons most of my relatives on this side of my family were all all really passed away before i was born so um, we don't have sort of immediate direct access. So my sister sort of started throwing a few things out, such as, oh, of course, your uncle was a mate with a guy called Eric Little, who was a runner at the 1924 Olympics. Uh, oh, your great uncle was a publisher of Christian books and evangelistic material. And OK, right, OK, so I'm going, I'm not sure about all of that. And she said, well, you just need to read the book. Okay, so uh, in fact, there's a couple of books. So my sister sent me one book um, that my other another uncle had published, um, and then um, she sent me this book. And, and of course, you start doing some digging. And because um, my great uncle David was associated with uh, a guy called D. P. Thompson, who in Presbyterian circles is really well known, he was known as Scotland's evangelist, and um, was really innovative. So digging into this, I discovered that in the 1920s, my great uncle was really pally with this guy when they were at Glasgow Uni and they started their own evangelistic organisation and publishing uh, company. So um, he started digging into this, he started realising that here were people who were being really creative about sharing faith um, in the sort of first half of the 20th century. And then so you begin to think, gosh, it's a really strange thing because... Actually, I discovered that my other grandfather used to sort of walk about the streets of Glasgow and um, was married up the road from where we live. And suddenly you kind of realise you have this hinterland of, um, I don't know, it's almost like you kind of feel, well, I've had three generations of people walking these streets uh, <laughs> uh, proclaiming Jesus. And you kind of think, oh, right, OK, I've got a bit of a, a heritage and credibility I'm not just like a new kid on the block kind of thing in my generation so I just it just really has given me a sense of um heritage as it's really hard to define what it is but um it's just been a real encouragement and I think I keep looking at the things in this guy's biography and it's going and I'm going all right I kind of agree with that you know <laughs> right so maybe this is where it all comes from yeah I was just gonna say had your sister been sitting on some of this knowledge for a while and you just hadn't had the conversation or was it very recent in her own discovery? No, so I actually had a copy of this book and I read it a long, long time ago, but it didn't really mean an awful lot to me because I didn't kind of tie it to other events. And then she's just really got into this recently. Um, and, uh, you know, we keep saying things to my dad and he goes, oh yeah, that's right. The family said this to me and said that to me. <laughs> okay, right, right. Thanks very much. Um, 
so he's kind of but his knowledge is quite limited as well so we're kind of filling blanks in for him too but your great uncle wasn't living his life anticipating that anyone would write his story and i think this is the interesting thing for all of us is as you pointed out on sunday it's unlikely that any of us will have biographies written about us Brody and ian you have far more chance than richard and i for sure <laughs> well well <laughs> here about that here, I mean, here's here's the funny thing. Um, so my um, my uncle was really pally with this guy who was the writer, um, and he wrote books that were really intended to be testimonies and a real challenge to people in Scotland um, to have faith. He wrote kids' books, and he wrote this biography of Eric Little to kind of really kind of be an evangelistic impact. Um, and then. Um, my uncle died quite young and his wife was keen that he'd be remembered. So she actually asked him to write the book. She may even have paid him to write the book. So it wasn't because that he was famous or well-known. It was simply that his wife wanted him to be remembered <laughs> um, and had a friend who was a writer. But at the same time, I think the, some of the motivation was, you know, we've written something about somebody who has a bit of fame and so and here's somebody who's just simply been obedient um been faithful to god followed his calling um and would not be known like a lot of people so it is actually about how god takes an ordinary biography and in the kingdom of god makes this significant so actually the fact that the book was published is like i kind of testimony to the fact of what god can do with somebody who just simply seeks to follow them I'll leave 50 quid in a drawer, Jack, and you can employ someone to do like a picture book or something once I've popped my clocks. <laughs> okay, Idiot's guide. this took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff, good stuff. So we then started on the Good Samaritan. Was there a, which came first, if you like, Ian? The cogitation over the biography stuff that you've been looking at? And then linking it and thinking, actually, you know, baptism, this goes into the Good Samaritan or the Good Samaritan. And then you pulled from your own life some stuff that's going on right now. I think um, last week's a long time ago. Um, <laughs> I, think it, I, I, I think it was just the idea of, I mean, thinking about the baptism and, and the lady who was being baptized and, you know, a story of a, a life well lived kind of crowned with this proclamation of faith in Jesus by baptism so it just the idea of a story um being transformed by the uh, the the reality of Jesus and uh, his power at work that was kind of what started um and then um yeah I started looking again at this story I I had I guess it's a story that's been in the back of my head to try uh, and do a sermon on um, taking this different view so it wasn't like it, the idea of um, looking at me as the man fallen by the side of the road it wasn't like that kind of came last week that's been I, I mean that's it is stolen from um, from a book that I read a long time ago and from a message that I heard somebody else give um, so I kind of had this cooking at the back of my head and I thought I'm going to use this sometime so uh -huh. sometime, sometime was Sunday sometime was Sunday and do you um, a question maybe for you both do you have a note of how many times you've spoken on like the Good Samaritan uh, in the past you, have you got like you're looking at that and you've got you've got tally marks in your bible that you've done this six times from uh, from different angles we've been here before and Ian's record keeping is just so much better than mine yeah I mean I would um all of my stuff is just kind of saved on my computer, but stuff that stuff that goes back, Richard, kind of pre two thousand and one or something like that, is a bit dodgy because it hasn't upgraded. Um, <laughs> and then, really prior to maybe, yeah, a few years before that, it just is not available because it was on uh -huh. paper. Uh, so index cards. And so is it a favourite passage? Like, is it something you've obviously been mulling over the whole uh, Good Samaritan story for a bit, but is it just one of these parables that always sits at the front of your mind? It's certainly like Good Samaritan. Uh, it's, you know, in the top three of things, that if somebody was to say, 
tell me a Bible story. It'd be Good Samaritan, then probably, and I'm going to butcher the names as normal, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and probably, I don't know, what would number three be? Maybe The Lost Coin? See, I, I'm not Gosh. sure about that, Richard. I wonder if you were to go out into the park, you know, Queen's Park, and, and ask people, then I suspect lots of people wouldn't know that the phrase Good Samaritan comes from the Bible. The Bible. Right, would be my would be my yeah. suspicion um of for some people might i think in glasgow certainly you would get a divide of a uh, people who have been educated in a, a, a roman catholic school may well connect to it whereas like you went to a, another comprehensive chances our folk wouldn't have a scooby where the, the term good martin comes I've never, I was, we, Richard and I were discussing this last night. I'm not sure I've ever heard somebody teach on this passage and talk about, imagine being the person that is, has been beaten and is at the side of the road. Is, Brody, have you? Is, well, I mean, is, I, is it just I grew me? up singing a song that nobody else knows, I think. Of, <laughs> um, and I, yeah, so the song is, um, he poured in the oil and wine. He poured in the oil and wine. He found me bleeding and dying by the side of the road, and he poured in the oil and the wine. So, I, oh. I, that's always how I read the story. I noticed I didn't try and sing it, but so, yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. I feel wow. Was is this a um, denomination thing? Is this? Is, is, was I far less likely to have this version? I'm, you know, the good brethren girl. Is that like, is that no? Because you know, the I'm church, now, the church okay. that I grew up in it had lots of links with the people who had gone to brethren church. I don't know where this song comes from, whether it's more like a Pentecostal kind of thing. Um, but it these and those in it, so it's not a new song. Um, and it was a long time ago. Um. Yeah, but that so I I can I kind of like have, have always grown up with, you know, it's it's us um, who are lying on the road and Jesus is the good Samaritan uh, who comes along and heals it uh, or or uh, applies first aid or, or whatever and, and looks after it, takes care of it. But Ian's probably right that many times there you know it's common that when this is preached, it's you know be like be like the good samaritan don't be like those who walked by in silence rather than you know what mate you're in a bad state you need some help and you can't really help yourself i'm now going to have to find out about the song by the way side note i'm going to have to do some research i want to understand There's the whole thing going on now <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure there'll be a version of it in youtube somewhere <laughs> need to oh, find it oh, a very bad version on youtube i predict <laughs> tambourines <laughs> Synthesizers. I, <laughs> I, I think the point. <laughs> We're now going so tangential today. I think when when you do when you come to that um, point of reflection, if you were the person who who's at the side of the road, it's it's almost quite humbling because I don't think we we even want to be that person, and it feels like that's the challenge for all of us is to emotionally get our heads in the place of. We're neither the rescuer or the failed rescuers. It's almost like we'd rather be the person who's failing to rescue than being the per person needing to be rescued. That's the thing that I was instantly identifying for me as hold up. I don't want to be the helpless person. I don't want to be in need. I don't want to be dependent on another. And I think that just speaks to our self-reliance, Ian. Yeah, Assuming it's not just me. <laughs> no, I think it's also the way that we generally interpret that text and and we probably are more drawn to being the I am the benevolent person with many resources and I feel better about myself um, and I kind of elevate my own dignity by being the one who um, expresses help and goodness towards others and and you know that's the way that we preach the story so you know it's no surprise that you know our immediate response unless you've sung the song with Brody uh, you know is to imagine that this that this is that the parable is going to end up with a challenge for you 
who has resources and, and has position to humble yourself and, and to give yourself. It's not a bad translation, but I think there is something, as you say, um, that makes us find it more difficult to be the person who is who is in need um, and, and just to identify with the man by the side of the road. I, I think there's something for all of us, isn't there, of, of realising, I mean, this was where I was on Sunday maybe, but also our constant need. Obviously, there is a salvation point for all of us. Sometimes it's not even one necessarily identifiable point, but the wider part of being people who are continually in need, I think is something that was also speaking to me, Brody. Yeah, and that's part of where the in comes in. So St. Augustine read it as humanity is beaten up and on the road. Um, and Augustine kind of like says, the inn is not, not our permanent home, but the inn is the church that cares for us till Christ returns. And uh, then we're in our permanent home. So there's that continual being tended to um, that the inn speaks of and I guess a healing process that take place. So Ian's drawing on a very ancient reading of the uh, the Good Samaritan. Wow. I had never considered then that then it's talking about the church in the context of how the church is meant to support and help and look after and tend to all of us. That's okay. Richard, am I, am I like the last person to get to that? Or were you aware of that too? Uh, no, it, it's... No, I'm I'm aware of it. It's not. It doesn't sit at the f front of my mind when it comes to this particular parable. So it's really interesting to to focus on that, especially in. I, I suppose at the moment it's more culturally significant. Like the other, is you know those that are not like us is very much more a thing of 2024 than it probably was for all of us back. 10, 15 years ago. So the whole idea that, you know, we probably have more of an understanding with globalism as to, and with events that are going on just now in in Israel-Palestine as to just the cultural significance of, and it was Ian's kind of final point that the help turns up, but the help comes from your enemy. Uh, I think we're much more aware of that than than we have been. Uh, the The first point I would like to look at, though, is it's it's made uh, it's very much brought to the forefront that this is a lawyer asking the question, and I'm curious as to why you think it was necessary in the passage for it to be pointed out that it was a lawyer. A lawyer comes and asks a question about inheritance. <laughs> discuss <laughs> do you know what i thought richard might ask a question about that and then i forgot that was the question it's the only time i've correctly anticipated a question that you might ask richard um but i think and i haven't kind of got my my text up in front of me but i imagine that um and maybe brody can be checking this while i'm talking but i i imagine that we're talking here about a a religious leader you know, who has a particular understanding of the Jewish law. So I don't think we're talking about somebody who's um, considering conveying property to another generation. I think uh, this is somebody who is asking a question about the right interpretation of, of Jewish law, which happens, you know, all the time. Jesus is positioned over and against the, um, the, the religious people who tend to be the ones that come and ask the technical questions. So I think that's what we're really seeing here. I think um, we're getting somebody who's an expert in the law um, asking Jesus a technical question about uh, Jewish so this, so this would be a scribe then in terms of other New Testament words that would be used for them. Uh, was the question of inheritance a particularly important one for Jewish culture? I mean, normally these questions that come from the Jewish leaders and authorities are loaded. They're like... Nine times out of ten, they're trick questions. They're like, I'm going to trick you into saying X when the Old Testament and the history of Judaism says Y or interpretation, you know, to try and set themselves against 
what Jesus is saying? So was inheritance a particular big issue? I'm not sure, but we're told that um, this person asks the question to test Jesus. And yet there also seems to be a genuineness. You know, when Jesus uh, responds to him, um, it probably it strikes him as a bit left field in some respects, but Jesus responds um, with compassion and, and care. Um, he's not trying to pass the test as he were, not, nor is he dismissing it, but he is he is concerned about this this person and, and uses this moment to to teach us something. I think the other thing is, you know, inheritance, you've got to be part of the family. I, so here's somebody who's not part of the family. The Samaritan. Certainly the, the expert in the law wouldn't have considered this as somebody who would be due an inheritance from Abraham, etc. So you have a shattering of, of walls and, and preconceptions about, you know, who is who is it who gets a the inheritance. I, I guess that's where my question is coming from. Is if this was a test, what was the test like? What did failing the test look like to this lawyer? And did how Jesus answered, as often happens in the the parables, you know, just turn the thing the topsy turvy kingdom. It turned it on its head, which obviously about the Samaritan it did. Ian? I, well, I, I think there must be something around compliance to um, to the faith practices of, of Israel. You know, what are the appropriate ways in which you you function? Though Jesus kind of points back to the, the heart of the law, doesn't he, about um, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbour as yourself, which is actually a higher bar than just finding um, agreement and alignment with with the Jewish teachings. So I think for a lot of people, compliance with what was the 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 markers, the processes by which you indicated your Jewish faith, I think that would have been the kind of answer he was looking for. So is Jesus within Judaism? Is Jesus um, asking people to to break with the traditions? Um, and Jesus actually goes back to the core tradition from which a lot of the kind of law in essence would have have sprung, um, which is actually about the heart and uh, asking kind of impossible questions of is your heart holy completely, not just in your external expression, but is it wholly committed to God? And is that manifest in how you conduct yourself with uh, other people so I mean my kind of take on that was well really if you if you see compliance with God's character and God's um, God's life as being a wholehearted commitment to God and to loving our neighbours then we all fall short of that so part of the story in my kind of interpretation was that nobody actually um, is is meeting that kind of a standard if that's how you characterize the law then we're all failures if that's kind of what god asks of us then we all fall short um, and therefore we all identify not with the the law keeper like the levite or the priest but we actually um, are more like the guy who is by the side of the road which you know having been beaten up not only has he lost resources but there's this sense of being um spiritually or religiously polluted you know he is somebody who the the priest and the levite walk by why do they walk by well their concern i would suggest is that they fear being contaminated which would um disallow them from continuing to minister in the temple so they perceive this guy to be spiritually beyond um beyond the pale um, and therefore somebody who isn't um a true israelite or someone who is who isn't compliant with with the law uh, and yet that's the person that the Samaritan goes to and, and restores. Yeah, And there's the element there not just of being rejected, if you like, as a person lying the side of the road by your leaders, but also by your family members, because these people are fundamentally family, they're Jews, so they're part of the same family, but also these people are leaders 
within that family and yet somebody from a different family from a different background different culture different set of beliefs that is the one that actually comes and digs the person out of the bother that they found themselves in yeah i think there's something in that i'd suggest about the the crossing of all of those barriers that that limit relationships so here are people who are as you, I mean, you use the word others um you know here are people from a from a community who have been separated by faith separated by ceremonial purity or lack of it uh, and yet there's a there's a crossing of those barriers which i you know i again kind of made reference to the fact that that's what jesus does for us that he he breaks across this the barriers of separation that that separate us from from life in him and and really the whole story of the incarnation and the crucifixion um is characterized by god breaking through into an environment which is hostile an environment which is unholy an environment into which he should not be be present and yet like the samaritan he crosses the the barriers and he breaks the the walls that that would separate us from him so i think it does i I think you know when you set it up as you know here are people who shouldn't be connected to each other here are people who are divided by by religion then it it presents again just a characterization of what god has done for us in christ and crossing um hostile territory in order to not only connect with us but to connect with us in in order to restore and to heal us well a good spot to take a slight intermission uh because the transforming event that we'll be hosting soon i suppose is all about linking our culture and society i suppose as church with everything else that's actually going on in the world ian give us a quick pitch as to what's happening and how can folk get tickets to get along yeah, so I would suggest that there is a real challenge in our culture, perhaps in our global culture these days, about how we know what is true, um, how we understand the information that we're being fed through uh, the media, and what we do about that, and even how media itself makes those decisions and choices. And for many of us, that's expressed in those kind of talking shops, interview programmes, discussion programmes, the um, flagship um, discussion program I guess in many ways on BBC is question time on a Thursday night so we have uh, Jerry Gay with us who is the editor of question time so his task is to ensure that um, the conversation is is fair um, as much as is possible and um, he's going to be talking just about that uh, public conversation and the role of media in uh, in shaping conversations that are at least based on some um, desire for truth. Um, actually, interestingly for people, um, question time will come from Glasgow this Thursday night and then we'll have him on Friday night. So I'm hoping that everybody's going to be just really um, on it, really wound up, really ready to engage with all their questions. It's going to be a little bit more interactive than normal. Uh, he's a pretty robust guy, so that really difficult question that you've been shouting at the TV about how Question Time <laughs> is being edited, he is prepared to take that one on. So um, please feel free. You might not get the answer you want, but you will get an answer. So um, that's it's going to be. I think it's going to be really good from that point of view. To get tickets, uh, Richard, just go on the QP website, follow the links that are there, um, £10 ahead, and you get something to eat uh, as well. I was just going to say, I don't envy his job at all, because I'm mostly banned from watching Question Time in our house. (laughs) (laughs) It it, it doesn't lead to... um, a relaxed evening. I just want to say. You know the incredible whole thing about you'll not like it when I'm angry. <laughs> anyway, good stuff. Right, let's quickly do an off-topic, and then we'll get back on the topic for today. I'm going to go first. If you're just looking for a podcast that's, it's not that it's inappropriately funny, but if you've been involved in youth work, you know how these stories work. Okay, it's maybe an American culture, so there's slightly more Americanism about it, but. If you want to listen to something that's just going to make you have a bit of a laugh, 
check out the Youth Group Chronicles as a podcast. It's just the mad, crazy things that you can only imagine American youth groups might get themselves involved in and people reacting to that. It's very, very funny. So go and check out Youth Group Chronicles, Brody, an off-the-topic cultural reference, anything you like? Cultural reference. Uh, so I reached out to somebody on a X, as it now is. Uh, if you read anything around kind of like uh, suffering from a theological point of view, invariably the author will reference uh, a scene from uh, the brothers Karazimov. So I've read this scene several times, but I never read the brothers Karazimov. So I reached out to Brian Zand, because I know that he's a fan, and said, listen, there's a new translation out. What translation should I get? So he responded and told me what translation of brothers Karazimov to get. So that's my current reading. I didn't realize yeah. it was 900 pages long. I was long. going to say, it's not a quick read. <laughs> no, it's not a quick read. And, City yeah. of God, brothers Karazimov, which one should we win? <laughs> Which one should we weigh? <laughs> Ian? Yeah, personal confession. I did a negative critique of that book uh, for, my, for my English teacher when I was at school. Uh, and he told me, you know, you, you really, Dostoevsky, you don't actually critique and complain and say negative <laughs> things about it or you'll not get any marks <laughs> in your exam. So that's as far as I got with it. Um Shout out um, Celtic Connections is on in Glasgow um, for people. We always like to go to um, one of one or other or many of the Celtic uh, Connection concerts in Glasgow. So that's my kind of shout out for something cultural. Good stuff. Jack? Well, I have a little bit of a funny story, if you'll all indulge me. So uh, on Saturday, I was, I was vacuum cleaning. I nearly said hoovering, but that's incorrect. I was vacuum cleaning and I managed to catch the, the cable for our internet and broke the internet, which right, was so really popular. For everybody. So if you've all been suffering internet outages, <laughs> it was Jack breaking the internet. <laughs> so I broke the internet and it was going to be Monday before it was fixed. So we found ourselves without television, obviously, and we ended up doing a jigsaw on Sunday night, which was wonderful because I really enjoy a jigsaw. But... If you'll all just allow me, I felt God saying something to me about the jigsaw. So this is my lessons from a jigsaw. A few very brief points. The piece you're looking for often doesn't look how you would, you would imagine it looks. Don't obsess over the piece you're trying to find or the place where you're stuck. Often you will find that piece when you've moved on to another part of the jigsaw. Keep referring to the big picture. It's very possible that you've lost perspective. And finally, it's not the race to finish it. The joy is in the process. So there, there you go. That was my lessons from a jigsaw from the weekend. <laughs> That's brilliant, Jackie. I was going to jump in as well. Um, I had this, and, and you reminded me to kind of say this, but um, I have uh, a friend who I meet up every now and then, and he's a really good friend to a lot of people. Um, but the one thing he's particularly good at, and it's always a challenge to me, is that he usually prays and asks God for a word before we meet up. And he had done it this time, and I hadn't. So uh, confession time. But the word that he had, so he said to me, he said, you know, sometimes you hear God and sometimes you see God in the things that are around you. So he said, I was driving along the road and he said, um, I was asking God, what do you want to say to Ian? And he said, um, I then looked at what was happening in the road and he said, God spoke to me through what I saw rather than what I heard. So that a real kind of encouragement to people to just kind of look out at what you're seeing and say, God, what you're trying to say. And believe it or not, God can speak to you through the A77. Um, so there you go. So that's one for you guys, because you, you're not far from the A77. So who knew Maybe it was a just, prophetic road? Exactly. Maybe he's just telling you to turn right when you get near Fennec and come in for a cup of tea. No, uh, the point is, he made the point that you, actually... There's a <clears throat> there's roadworks on your near your part of the road, <clears throat> and there's a lane block, and that was part of the part of the word. All right, okay, cool, <laughs> very good. Right, let's get back to the passage. So, uh, Ian, one of your points was about a man being in need of help, and we are helpless to help ourselves. I'm sure we could delve long and hard into the number of times we've tried to help ourselves and failed miserably when really what we required was to reach out to others. I think the beyond help 
is maybe what I'd like to have you speak into some. You know, just there seem to be a load of folk and all of us, I think, find ourselves from time to time in a position whereby we feel simply like we are beyond help. I think this story brings us just real encouragement. I think this is one of the wonderful things about the gospel that <clears throat> that our need, excuse me, <clears throat> our need creates the opportunity for God. And so, you know, to be in need is not to be in a, a kind of dead end that we are unable to um, come out from, but it, it creates an opportunity for God to speak and uh, and to move uh, i was just and i was struck by it's really the title of a book by um the author brenny brown um who talks about the gift of imperfection and actually the way in which our helplessness and the way in which something that is imperfect or broken can actually become a gift to us so i think that's one of the things maybe to remind ourselves is that that place of helplessness can actually be a place of gift it can be given to us um, as an opportunity to reach out and receive what God has for us or maybe just to uh, be open to something different happening and to see that God actually um, is available to us and, and seeks to to work in our lives when we are and when we admit that we are in need. Rodi, this is more a statement than a question, but our culture celebrates self-reliance. I don't mean church culture, I mean like world culture celebrates self-reliance. And and it felt like me, felt to me at the weekend that there was just that piece about not wanting to confess our brokenness as often being the thing that's our stumbling block to actually having help in the first place because as people we seem to be so concerned about presenting people that are, have got it together that we're that we're doing well we don't like to confess those parts of need within our own lives yeah i think that's true and the challenge to how we do that well um isn't there because there can be kind of like a oh poor me kind of thing look at poor me um and it's i mean i'm sure there is a place for um sharing our vulnerabilities and being vulnerable but the, the core of the story here is um our need to realize our need for god's help i cannot save myself um i cannot you know um uh, create a mechanism where through my effort and my works I can inherit eternal life I, I need a rescuer I need somebody to um, uh, to do that for me and I think that's one of the, the big challenges isn't that does our pride stop us from coming to God and, and as a wider society you know I is the to use the farming metaphor of pride hardens the ground for the seed of the gospel or our our self-reliance so even if you know we're in a total mess and um, you know people are are reluctant to turn to god and i guess there's a challenge for us is is church of um does the church you or does the world you the church is people who know the good samaritan that we are friends with the good samaritan as it were or do they view us as, as those religious people that were indifferent or scared or or, or or too off i think maybe just even to kind of follow that up i think there's always a a pressure to perform within us you know and that we think we need to be a good witness you know and if we are if our lives are failing or made a mistake that's a bad witness and I do think there is something about being able to express in the right context in the right way that we are not self-sufficient and that's the heart of the gospel but sometimes we're we're so hard at trying to present a good Christian face that we 
um, we don't actually show that we're only functional because of Jesus and and he is the reason so I mean I think that's sometimes why um, you know people who have been at the end of their tether are actually better witnesses than people who have kind of got it together because actually they're dem demonstrably functioning because of Jesus and um, you know that 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 is that is very clearly the, the difference but I think sometimes we mask the difference that Jesus makes by trying to be a good witness and that's what I'm trying to say I think as well it's worth acknowledging that no matter how mundane we feel it is our this is coming back to the where you started no matter how mundane we feel our story is our biography is the testimony and legacy that he's creating in all of our lives is precisely because of our brokenness not despite it would that be fair I think it's what God is doing in our brokenness. I think our, our you know, God isn't using our sin or our failure to kind of promote himself. But I think it's what God does in those moments. It's the, it's the grace of God that our brokenness creates the opportunity for that actually reshapes and, and gives the testimony and the, and the story, doesn't it? And I think lots of people use the, the picture of it's Kizuki, Kinsuki, in pottery, Japanese pottery that has been broken and then sent put together um, with like gold as the, the, the glue and, and something um, beautiful is created from that. And, you know, God takes our, our brokenness and creates beauty from it. And um, beauty, not perhaps as the world defines it. Um, a beauty in that vulnerability uh, in which uh, he speaks of, of God's goodness and God's grace and God's life and his His healing. And I think it's learning how to, to share those stories uh, you know, and looking for opportunities to share those stories of, of God at work and God doing something and changing something that maybe even just for those of us who've been Christian for a long time or I sometimes do this think of what would I be like if Jesus wasn't in my life? I've got some ideas. Um, prison. Um, pardon? Prison. Prison. Yeah, possibly. Is that possibly. for you? You know, I'm not, so, yeah, for me, I'm not speaking into Brody's life. Yeah. Um, I mean, or maybe, but I don't know. I, I, I don't think it would be a very nice person, is, is, is the honest truth. Um, or I think it'd probably be a very angry kind of like confrontational person um, and to think of, of the difference that Jesus has made in our lives of the, the, the change that he has, he has uh, brought and to look for opportunities to share our testimony and Cool. Well, our hour is nearly done, but Ian, one of the final points you made, which we touched on earlier, was about help turning up, but it's your enemy. So a final question. How long do you think it took the injured party to get over the fact that it was his enemy helping? Like, do you think it was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. <laughs> I don't care that you're a Samaritan, like very quickly. Or do you think... It took quite a while, and and reflect on that about how quickly we either should or do the same thing in our own lives. And there it is, folks: the impossible question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, clearly in the parable, I don't know if he's got much capacity to respond anyway. I think the guy's bleeding out, isn't he? So, um. You know, when you get to that desperate, you take help from anywhere, which I think is part of the, the point of the parable. So my guess is it's it's a pretty quick kind of thing. But whether the guy was that conscious of what was going on or who was doing it, um, I don't really, that's a, I don't really know. That's yeah, that's interesting is that uh, was his, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, did he have the ability to refuse the help in a sense that so the help simply wasn't offered and wasn't asked for from the other parties but it was actually all on the Samaritans basis it was a hundred percent him responding to the situation and the injured party had very little to do 
to do with it until after the event, until he woke up with all his bills paid for him. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is a whole podcast in and of itself about um, what what we contribute to our salvation and uh, what is the what is the work of God. And I'm sure we could mention Mr. John Calvin in relation to all of this. Um, I think um, it's really hard to say, Richard. I think that the I think the point is. Let's remember it's a parable, and we can't just um, you know extract every last you know micro a gram of of juice from it um the point i think that is being made is here is somebody who is helpless unable to help himself um and pretty much unable to contribute anything perhaps beyond a a nod or a you know allowing his body to slump into the the arms of of the guy who was saving him um so i think very little from his point of view um, I doubt he could have had much energy to resist, but you know, when you're at the end of your tether, you know, probably everything within you is is welcoming any kind of help, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think the emphasis of the story is is on the actions of the Good Samaritan rather than the the guy who's lying injured. Um, again, there's, I very much doubt that he's got much awareness of what's happening and. You know, it's the innkeeper that then looks at. So, yeah, I don't know that. I don't know that that's the point that we're meant to take, um, particularly, um, because the point of the story is that uh, Jesus is our unexpected help. But when we think on it, he's not an enemy, is he? Um, so the 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 question. And, you know, do do we refuse, do we ignore our brokenness and refuse the help of Jesus? You know, am I aware that I am bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road? Um, that's that's the key thing. You know, that's that's the message to the, the expert in the law. You know, you're bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road. Um, you need a intervention. You need help. Great. Well, thank you all for joining us. We will go round round my screen as it sits in front of me to get some final words. But before that happens, do recommend the podcast to a friend. Send them a link. Leave us a review. Give us five stars. Uh, send us a question. Q off sends a question office at qpbc.org or on Spotify if you happen to be listening on that app you can leave a question direct or a comment directly on the app if you just scroll down the page on the app to which you're listening to this on but let's get some final words so first up Jack oh gosh I knew you were gonna ask me when <laughs> I've not quite formulated it in my head I think it would have to be something about not allowing my pride to be something that gets me in the way gets in the way of me being helped when I need help. Hmm. You know, but if that my acknowledgement, I don't want to be I don't want to have to get to the end of myself before I acknowledge that I am in need of help and that I need God to rescue me on a daily basis. And that jigsaws are always better with two. Also true. Excellent. Brody you may be a regular listener to the podcast or you may have stumbled across it, but we all need Jesus. Um, and if you are listening to this and going, I'm intrigued, but I don't I don't know Jesus the way that they're like talking about the good smart contending to the guy on the road. Maybe I'm the person on the road. Then contact us, get in touch. We'd love to chat about that more. We started off the pod by talking about baptism again, if that's something that you'd like to find. Out more about the a, a email address for questions for the podcast works for it. I'd like to find out more about baptism office at qpbc.org mm -hmm. and we can combine it with a cold water swim if that's really your thing I'm sure there might be some liturgical reason not to do that but there we go Ian you preach it so final word to you yeah I just want to echo what Brody has said and I think that says pretty much everything just want to add one little little thing to that which is that imperfection is a gift and um, 
if we choose to step into to that um, areas of helplessness, areas of our own brokenness, then we will encounter the God of grace who is always coming along the road to meet us and to, to touch us and transform us. Excellent. And on that note, have a great week. Speak to you all again soon. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.